This episode will detail issues relating to the death of an infant, and will discuss issues surrounding infanticide, which some listeners might find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. This episode of Classic City Crime starts right now. It's a case we've all covered here before, one that shocked the University of Georgia and Athens communities just over 27 years ago. An infant found brutally murdered in the Oglethorpe House dormitory's basement bathroom not long after coming in to this world. And if you haven't heard the first two episodes, I'd ask you to take a moment to pause, go back, and listen. For it was in these initial episodes that we detailed the crime scene, one that would haunt investigators for life. A baby boy found stabbed in the heart and the neck. We examined the grueling investigation that saw hundreds upon hundreds of students and people interviewed. And at the time our podcast covered this case, well, it remained unsolved. That is, until now. In this episode, you're going to learn how the case of infant Jonathan Foundling was solved. You'll hear the reaction from those investigators who responded to the case all those years ago. And you're going to hear from the family of the mother, a mother who has now been identified and who police say is responsible for the horrible tragedy that took place. Thank you again for joining us for this update, one that I thought we might never see. And I'll begin by saying that last week when the news broke of this case being cleared, my phone began to buzz uncontrollably with messages from all of you. And some of those messages read, quote, have you seen the news? Others expressed so much sadness and sorrow. And my heart joined with all of you in feeling what can only be described as a mixed bag of emotions. I felt sadness, sadness still for the loss of that little baby boy. But I also felt overwhelming grief, knowing of the mother's identity and the issues that accompanied her life after this incident. And yes, somehow an overwhelming sense of gratitude. Gratitude for the officers who worked this case and never gave up, but also thankfulness for the continued advancements in technology that are literally changing cases every single day, bringing closure to victims' families across the country. We're going to begin this episode by reviewing just how the mother of baby Jonathan Foundling, which you'll recall was a name given to him by investigators in 1996, was identified, and I believe that's going to further show you just how important good police work and determination can be in solving these cases. In documents obtained through an open records request and supplemental information provided by Wayne Ford of the Athens Banner Herald, we learned this timeline. Buckle up for this. It was June of 2020, long before our podcast covered this case, I will note, that investigators at the University of Georgia Police Department decided to take a look 
into whether or not new technology could lead to closure in this case. And it's important to note here that this case has been looked at on and off for about two decades. You see, back in 1996 and in the subsequent years that followed, there were numerous DNA samples submitted to the GBI for testing. Some of those samples came from students at the time, other samples from women housed in the Clark County Jail who some might have implicated, but none of them were a match. None of them were a match to the DNA recovered from the scene, and just so you know, that DNA was not just the DNA from baby Jonathan, but also from the mother's placenta that were discovered in the dormitory's bathroom trash can. All of these efforts trying to match the DNA after all these years always came up short. But as we all found out last week, everything, yes, everything, has changed. But you see, it wasn't just DNA that was left behind in that bathroom. I learned from these documents that fingerprints were also obtained all those years ago on that trash can. And in the course of reopening the case in 2020, a match was found to a woman who had been arrested since the murder occurred. And yes, she was a resident of Oglethorpe House Dormitory at UGA during the 1995 and 1996 academic year. Could she be the mother police had been looking for? Well, the woman was located, and she denied any involvement in the crime, and after DNA testing was conducted, it was determined she was not the mother of the baby. Perhaps she had simply touched the trash can while throwing away her napkin after washing her hands. Not a match. Not the mother. And you know, some of us might think, oh goodness, the case has hit another dead end, but that was not the case here. Police were not willing to give up. You see, instead of just giving up and moving on after yet another letdown in the search for the baby's mother, the University of Georgia Police Department persisted because there is so much more well-known scientific advancements that have happened in the past few years. You've heard about this advancement perhaps because there's TV shows dedicated to how they have solved crimes using this. That new technology? Genealogical DNA. And it's important to note that this technology did not exist in 1996 and really had never been employed in the case until the start of 2021 when investigators determined it would be a good avenue to pursue. And keep in mind, when our podcast covered this, we even reached out to the University of Georgia asking if we could help provide funding. Little did we know, they were already on it. You see, it was around this time that the University of Georgia Police Department enrolled the help of Othram. According to their website, Othram's technology enables local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies across the United States and internationally to break through previously impenetrable forensic DNA barriers and close previously unsolved cases. Othram uniquely performs all casework-related service in-house with the essential infrastructure and process for testing forensic DNA evidence. Othram is committed to continuous iteration and improvement, learning from each case and refining our technology and processes regularly." End quote. 
So in the late summer of 2021, investigators from the University of Georgia Police Department hand-delivered all the way to Texas DNA and forensic evidence from the case file with the hopes that something might finally come of it. The justice for baby Jonathan might finally be realized. And after a little bit of waiting, the fall of 2021 came. And after the DNA was sequenced, a break finally happened that the University of Georgia Police Department had been waiting for for over two decades. There was a match. The match, however, was not for the mother of the child, but instead for perhaps the father. You see, two young men who shared DNA and were brothers were identified as the likely father or some other close relative of little Jonathan Foundling. And as luck would have it, as the investigators dug into the identity of these two men, it came to be known that they were both students at the University of Georgia during the time that this incident took place. And one of those brothers actually still resided in Georgia, which meant that he was the easiest person for the University of Georgia police to collect DNA samples from. And what police found when they interviewed this young man truly shocked me. And I think it's going to shock all of you too. You see, the man admitted, yes, he had been at UGA during the 1995 and 96 academic year and he was able to inform investigators that he had had a sexual relationship with a young woman in the spring quarter of 1995. Now that would mean that this relationship happened around the time that baby Jonathan Foundling was conceived. He went on to admit that of course this sexual relationship could not be one described as romantic. It might have lasted for a month or so, but he did indicate that they had had unprotected sex a few times. Investigators pressed him, it appears, asking if he remained in contact with the young woman after their relationship ended. Of course, he said he had not. And he said, in fact, he had only seen her about one time after their sexual relationship ended. And while police might have been hoping for a name, at first, all he could give was a description. But you see, as the interview went on, he finally was able to come up with what he believed might be the last name of that young woman, Grant, G-R-A-N-T. Now, it's important to note here that other than providing this name that would prove crucial, the man stated unequivocally that he did not have knowledge that the woman with whom he had had sexual relations was pregnant and he certainly contended that he had no knowledge of the murder of the infant baby boy. At the conclusion of this startling interview, DNA swabs seemed to have been collected from the man and sent to Othram for testing, and get this, it was January of this year, 2023, that it was determined the person they had found and interviewed was indeed the father of Jonathan Foundling. But now let's get back to that name he gave investigators, Grant. You see, investigators went back to the drawing board here, looking for anyone who might have resided in the O'House dormitory in 1996 by that last name. And keep in mind from our first two episodes, police weren't even sure that the person who did this or was the mother was a student, 
sometimes wondering if it might have been someone employed by the university or a random person off the streets. But as they looked at that roster, something stood out. There was someone. Her name was Catherine Grant. She was a young woman who was enrolled at the University of Georgia from 1995 until 1996. That's not enough, right? There was more than just her name appearing on a roster. More circumstantial evidence, if you will. In fact, her grades had started to slip in the spring quarter of 1995. And if you're keeping up with the timelines here, you'll realize that this would be around the time that the mother of Jonathan Foundling would have become pregnant. And in addition to that startling revelation, there's more. It was also learned that Grant withdrew from classes and ultimately left the University of Georgia in the spring of 1996, the timeline there showing that she left after the baby boy was found brutally killed. But as you can imagine, investigators couldn't make a determination just yet, right? There was more work to do. Perhaps investigators would have interviewed Catherine Grant, right, to determine what, if anything, she might have known about this infant baby boy found murdered, but there was one tragic problem. You see, as investigators dug into her background and conducted online searches, they found what no investigator wants to find when trying to close a case an obituary. Catherine Grant died by suicide in July of 2004, just some years after the baby boy was discovered. There would be no interview, and investigators would of course still have to turn to forensic science and the waiting that comes with it to learn the truth. It begs the question, of course, I would think, could this tragic end to Catherine's life had been a direct response to what previously occurred on the campus of UGA? Well, investigators kept digging, and what they were able to identify was a brother of Catherine Grant, and, as luck would have it, he lived in Georgia. So investigators determined they would need to meet with him about the case, and upon interviewing Mr. Grant, they learned that he had no knowledge of his sister ever being pregnant, and they found out he was certainly unaware of any connection that she might have had to a deceased child. But even with no knowledge of his sister's connection to the case, Mr. Grant did something I find to be very brave. He provided that DNA swab to find out what, if any, connection there might really be. Now, I am going to note, of course, there was a warrant to obtain this DNA, too. So Othram once again steps in to provide that key DNA testing, and the results are why we are all here following up on this case today. Mr. Grant, brother to Catherine Grant, the young woman identified by her sexual partner from 1995, he was identified as a, quote, 100% either half-sibling, grandparent, grandchild, aunt, uncle, niece, or nephew, match to the baby boy. So of course, based on timelines and the age of the man, it had become clear he was the uncle to baby Jonathan Foundling, and his sister was indeed the mother of the newborn infant found all those years ago. At the end of that very long police report detailing all of this information, police note this, quote, 
based on the totality of the facts and circumstances learned over the course of this investigation, probable cause exists to believe that Catherine Grant gave birth to the infant and victim in this case in Oglethorpe House on January 8, 1996, and subsequently committed acts that resulted in the infant's death. Due to the fact that Catherine Grant is deceased, this case is exceptionally cleared." End quote. Now, I know that was a lot, and I know I could have gotten really deep into the weeds of analyzing all of it, but I think you all are capable of doing that, and this is such a hard story to talk about, and it's so hard to navigate that I thought just giving a general overview of how investigators have reached the startling conclusion that shocked all of us last week was important. And I'm sure you can understand why this is so difficult to navigate and why it's all so heartbreaking. You know, in the course of my work with all of you, I have noted that there are always two important questions that families and communities, podcasters and people alike are constantly seeking as it relates to cold cases and unsolved homicides. And those two questions are really quite simple. Who did it and why? This investigation and the news revelations have certainly revealed the who as we now know it, but the why still outstanding and perhaps it always will be. As I noted, Catherine Grant died by suicide in 2004, taking with her perhaps the answer to that very question. And it's a question that not only police will forever be asking, but it's perhaps one that her own family will now spend a lifetime pondering too. Now, that is, unless someone somewhere upon learning of her identity might look back and remember something. If they do, if you are listening, please reach out to the University of Georgia Police Department. As I was processing the news of this case, I saw a message come through on our Facebook page. The man had the last name Grant. I was shocked. Tracy Grant, the brother, had found the podcasts that we did on this case and certainly expressed his gratitude for our handling of a very sensitive story, but he also wanted to speak out here to help all of us better understand who his sister was, what, if anything, his family knew, and to ultimately explain what conclusions he has arrived to since processing the sad reality that is now his. Not only did he lose his sister to suicide, but he's now also faced with the sobering news that police believe his sister to be responsible for the brutal death of his nephew in 1996, a nephew he never even knew about. But before I introduce you to Tracy Grant, I want to talk a little bit more about his sister and the mother of Jonathan Foundling. And I want to make one thing very clear. I am not trying to separate the brutal act that occurred to this infant from Catherine Grant. But I do believe it is so important that we take a moment to learn about her 
in order to try and make sense of this tragedy that truly has no winners. What I know about Catherine or Kate, as friends, colleagues, and family members called her, was found simply in her obituary that any of you can find. You see, we know that Kate was born in around 1975, a devoted daughter to two doting parents who, by the way, my heart truly goes out to. She was the sister of one brother, and she had come to the University of Georgia to prepare for a career in an area she loved fiercely, veterinary science. But we know that she left UGA after only two years of study and transferred to Newberry College in South Carolina, which is a college closer to where her folks resided. And as a note, yes, this transfer from UGA would have occurred after the birth and killing of her son. Now, after she graduated from the veterinary technologist degree program at Newberry, guess what? She returned right back here to Athens and became employed by the University of Georgia as a veterinary technologist for exotic animals at the College of Veterinary Medicine. Her obituary described Kate as a, quote, teacher, an enthusiastic leader, a devoted daughter, and a loyal friend, end quote. So with a bit of Catherine's background being established here, I want to now move into the interview that I conducted with her brother, one that he offered exclusively, by the way, to us. At the time of his interview, Mr. Grant was still processing the news of his nephew's death and his sister's involvement. And as a warning, I want to remind you, some of this might be hard to hear, but I hope you'll listen closely as we try to determine not only who Catherine or Kate Grant was, but what might have possibly gone wrong in this tragic case that is now closed. What is your relation to this case? Um, I am the brother of Kate Grant. And um, to start things off, uh, you know, people are just finding out this name um, after all these years, the name of your sister. Um, what can you tell me about her independent of what we learned last week uh, in the media? What was her upbringing like? And, you know, who was Catherine Grant? Sure. And first, I want to start by thanking you for what you've done in following this case with Jonathan and giving me a chance to have a voice in this. I appreciate it. And mainly um, I say that because I've been misrepresented online a little bit and people have read the report and assumed that when I said to investigators that Kate might be inclined to have hidden the pregnancy, assumed that there was issues at home or that a problem with my parents, but there it's so far from the reality as it could be. We had an amazing childhood growing up. Um, we were happy and loved. Our parents were open, approachable. They were invo involved in every aspect of our childhood. Um, we grew up military dependents. My father was in the military for a very long time. and um, But that comes with it, some of the issues that military dependents have. And we... We have a tendency to not have long-term friendships, and we have a tendency to compartmentalize our feelings because we're so used to packing up and moving every couple of years that we don't tend to hold on to our emotions. And and that's what I think Kate does or did um, 
as I continue to do. I mean, I, I have a tendency to do that myself, but mainly I just, I feel like she just, like any other child, didn't want to displease or upset our parents with any sort of bad news. I mean, I'm 53 and there's still things I don't tell my, my folks. Um, if I could ask real fast, Tracy, yeah, sure. what, what is the age difference between you and Kate um, and, uh, you know, who's older? Sure. I'm, I'm, we're the only two children. Um, I'm older and she was about five years behind me. Got I was it. born okay. in September of 69. She was born in February of 75. Tell us uh, what her personality was like growing up. Um, you know, and I asked this not only for us to, you know, better understand who she was, but um, I, and again, I'm sorry for having to ask some of this, man, but, um, you know, were there any mental health struggles in childhood, adolescence, et cetera? No, and that's that's why the family is just as shocked and thrown by all of this more so than anyone else. Because when you were and she was, she was always quick to laugh. Um, she, she enjoyed the company of others. She was a very loving sister, a, a doting daughter. She 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 and my father were very close. Um, she was very independent person too she always wanted to do things on her own and if there was you know if there was a task like like when she went to learn a bike we tried teaching her forever to learn how to ride a bicycle and she refused and then one day she just picked it up and went with it <laughs> i mean she was that type of a person she was and as she grew up she she was very compassionate and empathetic and and we were, I mean, we were both in scouting and involved in the church and all of that. So we had a, we, we had a wonderful childhood and she had a, a, a bubbly personality and those that knew her that, you know, either went to school with her or worked with her, um, all said the same about her. So I've this had, is why it's a little weird. <laughs> I've had several of her coworkers from the university, um, reach out having listened also like you just recently finding the episodes, um, and they said the exact same thing. What a uh, caring person, but also her uh, love of animals, too. That was something people talked about a lot. Uh, from the time she could start walking, she always had some sort of animal in her arms. She uh, she knew at a very early age what she wanted to do, which was veterinary work. And, and she she loved being around animals and, and helping animals and all that. And uh, again, the 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 person that was in that bath in the stall was not the person that we knew Some, something broke and it's it's such a 180 from her actual personality and temper to to think that what happened actually happened right mm. do you remember what it was like when she was accepted into the university of georgia or came to the university of georgia um, I, well, I was deployed in Alaska during this time. I was serving in the military mm -hmm. myself. Um, so I, I knew she was excited to go there. She was the, uh, from what I understood at the time and probably still so university of Georgia has one of the most outstanding veterinary programs. Um, they work with large exotic animals, which she was excited about and things like that. So, uh, I know that she was, she was very much looking forward to going through school there until 
her grades dropped off and she just wasn't able to stay in there. So she transferred to another school. And were your you or your parents either one um, aware of, you know, the the slipping of the grades or anything like that, withdrawing from a few classes at that time? Well, my parents were aware of it, I think. I, again, I, I was in Alaska, and, and you got to remember during this time, cell phones and email were not a big thing. I keep so. having to remind myself of how different the times <laughs> are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, we were my my family. I had a, a wife at the time and a, and a three year old daughter stationed in what's what's now closed, but it was Fort Greeley, Alaska. It's a very small post up near the north uh, by, the, by the northern circle up there. But we rarely talked to them during that time period. I mean, we talked a couple every Sunday, once a couple of weeks. My mom, you know, of course, definitely wanted me to call her all the time, but. I got a little bit of news, you know, Kate's doing this or Kate's doing that. And, um, but, but Kate and I never really kept in contact too much during that time. She was busy with her school and I was, you know, busy with my work. And then just, I, it's something I kind of guess I, I look back on and, and really kick myself for that. I just, I, I wasn't there like I should have been as a brother and, and, Again, I, you know, you look back on things and you find faults where you didn't see them before, and it's it's just the way it was at that point in time. We were just living our own lives. Well, you know, I think you make a good point, and when you do feel, you know, regret about that, Facebook now and phones and cell phones make Alaska and Georgia much closer than they were um, in 1996, and certainly uh, communication easier. So. Um, I think you made a good point for yourself there. Um, tell us how you became, Tracy, involved in an investigation into the death of an infant baby boy um, in 1996 at the University of Georgia. Um, I was contacted in January of this year um, that the by the University of Georgia police, they wanted to, to talk to me and discuss um kate and her her time period that was there and of course i assumed that they were talking about her suicide um and so i agreed to meet with them uh when we we did meet up uh they told me about this incident and and jonathan and i can't imagine you're probably very shocked and taken aback by that well i couldn't understand why they were talking about that i thought maybe she might have known the girl or or something like that and and i i just couldn't i couldn't understand why the conversation was going this way and it started to play out like almost like i was watching a tv scene a movie scene or something like it wasn't even true at that point to me um but they they continued to talk about what what had happened and 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 the investigation so far and then they presented me with well well they told me that you know kate's name had come up because they had the dna had identified the father and the and they had interviewed the father and and kate's name came up in that interview as somebody he had had sexual relations with during that time period um i don't know if she was the only one but it's, it's her name was brought up and he gave a description of her and which was pretty dead on um, but so they looked into her 
and decided that they needed to get a DNA sample. Well, there's Kate was cremated after her suicide, so there's no DNA mm -hmm. yet. And they approached me. Now they approached me for DNA because I live in Georgia. I'm in Savannah, and it's easier for University of Georgia to get a warrant for that instead of going to South Carolina where my parents reside and try to get one through them. So they approached me about it, getting a DNA sample. And of course, I thought there's no way in heck that this is real and that she would have anything to do with it. So I gave my DNA. Uh, they took several cheek swabs and, and I thought that was the last I would hear about it. And after that, did you did you at that point tell your parents that this was going on or did you want to wait until you got some clarity from the police? What did that decision in your mind look like? Because I can't imagine how much more difficult it would have been for them had the police shown up at their door and not yours. Well, and that, yeah, I, I did contact them and that was one of the thoughts that one of the reasons why I did. I, I, I called them and I said, hey, look, you know, this this all just kind of happened. Um, I, I explained to them what all went on and um, they, they said they did hear the incident when, when the death occurred that Kate had come home and, and, you know, told them about that, uh, uh, you know, the whole thing, what had occurred and that, you know, people were being interviewed and stuff like that. But she didn't give them any indication that she was involved at it whatsoever. Wow. And, and uh, so it kind of, it, it was shocking to us because uh, again, the whole family just kind of assumed this was just, you know, yeah, she might've hooked up with this guy. Come on there. I mean, they were 20 years old at the time and college kids. They were, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of how things happen in college. I did, so I did spend a few years there. Yes. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, it, it, I'm sure it was a casual fling and and there doesn't seem like there was any sort of relationship there at all other than just you know release the sexual tension of that but I, I we just did not assume that it would be anything more than that and of course then you I'm assuming either get a visit or a call again that some results are back take me back to that moment what was said and I can't imagine what went through your mind well, my father got a little bit more involved in the investigation at this point. He contacted uh, UGA police, and um, I think he was—I think he was upset that they came to me about it, and and he would have rather that they had come to him to deal with Kate. Um, I I feel like he he felt like uh, maybe that I was more involved than I should have been, but. I, I I explained to him that I felt like I'd done some sort of betrayal to Kate by doing that. And, and even though we, again, didn't think anything would come of it, but he told them to contact him from there on, and they did. I they see. contacted him and told him about the results, and then he immediately called me and told me the, about the results of the DNA test. And what, what, I can't imagine what that conversation was like. Uh, it was very short because I think we were both pretty much speechless. Um, 
he said that uh, the DNA had come back and that there was a hundred percent chance that I was related to Jonathan and in, in some sort of manner, either an uncle or a nephew or something that the DNA results can't tell you exactly which, what right, relationship right. is, but they can give you a percentage of the relationship. Um, so I, I, I just was kind of struck speechless and sat down. I said, okay, well, I guess we have to, you know, move on from here and try to figure out what's next. And so that was, that was pretty much the end of that conversation. Um, I once have a we, question there. Did, no, did the police indicate at that time, I know that they're indicating at this point, surely that there's, you know, pretty large scientific evidence that Kate would have been the mother of the child, but was there also any indication in those first conversations that she was responsible for the death as well? Like, was that just, or was that just a given you think? They, they pretty much have come to the conclusion that they think that she was the only one involved. Um, I don't know if I entirely believe that, but I don't disbelieve it either. So I, I, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence still with certain things, but um, that was definitely uh, something that, that they brought up because the, the, the warrant that I got for my DNA was for a murder case, not for a, mm -hmm. you know, so. And you mentioned that, you know, you might not know or that, you know, all you have to go on right now is that she was involved in this alone. But if there were someone else, what 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 might that have been like, a you know, and I'm just curious here. Um, like, oh, I, I have no, no idea. idea. Okay. I mean, I, I think that maybe I'll be, I, I think that somebody else in that area must have had to have known something. Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't see Kate, but maybe once or twice a year. So it wasn't like she was, you know, coming to visit my parents every weekend and stuff. So there, uh, but people that are around her 24 seven or roommate or, even this, this, the, the father of the child, uh, I, I kind of think that maybe she would have said something to him about, Hey, I'm pregnant. And he may have turned her away at that point. I don't, I don't know. I'm just kind sure, of sure. And you, you haven't talked to daughters. him, correct. You said, I have not talked okay. to, I have not spoke to him. No, not, not that I, I don't want to, or that I have some sort of hate or, or, or bad feelings for him, toward him. I, I don't, I just I, I think he has his own family and his own life now, and I don't want to burden him with with me, you know, knocking on his door and saying, hey, what's up with you and my sister sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. totally. Well, I can't imagine, but I can certainly empathize with that. Um, I just want to go briefly back, and I, and I hate to belabor this point at all, um, but that just sparked this question. Um, I know that your sister died by suicide a few um, a little later, um, in the yes. early 2000s, um, once you found out about this, was there any sort of connecting of the dots to, you know, I know when suicide happens, there's always this question of why I've experienced it in my own friend group. Um, certainly not my siblings, so I can't imagine, but was there any, you know, trying to connect the dots there and maybe, maybe there, maybe while there may never be a why answer to, you know, Jonathan's death, perhaps to her own, if that makes sense. For me personally, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, I'm not sure if my parents believed that that was the only reason. 
Um, she had a, a lot of things going on in her life at the end. Um, depression, anxiety, uh, other issues medically with, with her mental health. And I think that stemmed from this incident. It all was triggered mm. by, I can't imagine the emotional, mental trauma, physical trauma that she went through by herself in that bathroom. And uh, I, I feel that she had a mental break there at that point and and mm. and continued to have that throughout she, they 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 my parents tried as well as they could to help with you know getting her medications and things like that to help her out and and getting her seen by therapists and things but I, because we didn't know the core and the, the the reason for the start of all of this with her i i think that we would never be able to to get to the sure, the sure. fixing it and and yeah when she when she took her life um when that happened we got a call from uh basically her friends and, and her workmates saying that she hadn't shown up for a while and that she had disappeared and um later on they found her body and realized that we found out that she had committed suicide, but she, she never left any notes. She never left any indication. In fact, we had just seen her the week before and she was in good spirits at that point in time. And so nothing, we, we, we had no closure in that at all. But for me personally, this explains a lot about why she became the way she did and, and why I, I just, I know that she basically, she must have put herself on trial every day of her life for the rest of the, her life dealing with what had occurred with Jonathan. And I, I think that she just, I just couldn't take it anymore. Are there mixed emotions for you and your parents? You know, um, obviously the manner of her death, yes, but now learning the news um, and, you know, and I hate to put say it this way and I've kind of already briefed you for this but also the news that you know by legal account um, a murder occurred at her hands like what has that you know what has that been like balancing the sister you knew with what you now know about this situation I've gone through every mo emotion of every minute of every day since we found this out um, it, it flips back and forth uh, disbelief uh, incomprehensible feelings uh, that I have, I, I, I don't understand sometimes. And then other times I, you know, my mind puts together scenarios. I personally, I don't know about my parents, but I've, I haven't slept hardly much at all because my mind keeps replaying scenes of her in that bathroom. And, and I just, yeah, it's, it's been all sorts of emotions. And when we, when we got the news um, about the, the DNA test, my, uh, my husband and I went immediately to visit my parents. My husband and I have been together for 25 years now. Wow, um, good for you, good for you. And, and, and another point as to how people are so wrong about my parents, when I came out to them, they had no problem with it. I mean, 
but but again they're accepting they love him they they again it's it's there would have been no issue with them or me or uh, accepting jonathan into our lives um mm. i think it was just a decision that kate made on her own but but for for all the the trauma and everything we they my parents are are my parents are broken they're they're little they're, they just when we went to see him i could i could barely get any words out of my mom uh it took her a couple of days of us being there before she actually opened up to us and started talking to um the two of us and and my father is like me he kind of throws himself into his work and 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 compartmentalizes his emotions somewhat and and tries to move past and and not 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 move past as in forgetting or or disregarding but trying to keep on with what he needs to do in life so i i don't know they're they're just they're dealing with it in their own ways um but they're not they're 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 not who they were i know that when we first talked you said that one of the reasons that you wanted to speak out was to hopefully discourage any you know other young woman out there who might be in crisis whether that be mental health unexpected pregnancy feeling like they don't have a support system talk us through you know what you want people that are listening ultimately to take away from your sister's story yes but um also what would now be the story of your nephew i want I want people to understand that Kate, so, something happened in that bathroom, and other than the birth and and then the death, uh, there was there was something mentally that that snapped. One I feel was cause of the other. Um, there are people in this world and that, that may even be in your listening audience that have felt like they have been in a position like Kate or or feel like that now or may feel like that in the future that they they're in a, in a situation where they feel alone where they are in fear where they might be having thoughts that they don't understand and that they can't work with and but if if they would just speak out and let people in they're not alone there's always 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 somebody there to help and to at least start that moving because had kate spoken out and said something we would be have two wonderful lives in this world and because of that there's there there were so many victims of this not just kate and jonathan the 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 men and women that worked to solve the case and, and that had to deal with this and, and, and people like, like you who, you know, have to go through and, and question about why this happened and when did that happen? And there is, there's a lot of trauma involved where there didn't need to be any, if somebody would just say something. And if somebody knows somebody that's going through something like this, reach out. It's, it's, it's not hard. The, the healing hurts. Uh, but it 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 goes away the healing goes away 
I know that you said you've played many different scenarios um, in your head about this, and I know this is going to be a loaded question, so if it's one you can't answer yet, and I didn't write this one down, have you settled in your mind for your own sanity, if you will, um, what what might have went wrong in Kate's life here and why this ultimately might have occurred, or is that something you think you'll be asking yourself for the you know the rest of your life? Oh, it's... I have I have my own thoughts about it, but it's still a question in my mind. Um, I personally feel like Kate had a psychotic break when she went through pain and trauma and, and loneliness to, mm. which, when she was in that bathroom by herself. And I don't even know if she realized what was going on, and we'll never know if she if this was you know something that she realized what was happening, but um. I, I can't I can't imagine that and, and and I don't think anybody could if they haven't lived it themselves and it's just it's sad but it's it's what happened and, and we're just gonna have to kind of you know take it at that and and the answers as to why may may never come about I mean there's mm -hmm. just you know, people are looking for reason, and I think it was more reaction than reason. Some people out there with the mixed emotions, you know, are going to feel empathy, obviously, for your sister. And some are going to, you know, obviously view her as a murderer, right? What say you to those folks who might view it the latter way? Well, first off, I've, I've seen the Reddit boards. I know what what's being said and what's not, and, and I've, I've followed, you know, ever, ever since this happened, I've been doing the... the deep dive through Google, trying to find out everything that I could and, and following what's going on. But I look, I understand that the public is strongly connected to Jonathan in this case, and, and they want justice. But I hope that people will understand that, that Kate basically put herself on trial for this every day and, and eventually, you know, just decided made the decision to take her own life and and we're not going to have anything more than that and i understand that people think that you know we'll call her a murderer and and i get mm -hmm. that and and honestly if if she's if she is the sole person that did it and, and i'm not saying she's not but i mean that's that technically is correct but i i want them to, to understand that it, she didn't go in there premeditated. I don't feel because that's not the type of person that she was, that it's never been the type of person that she was. And I feel that something just changed. And I don't think I, I personally, I don't hold her responsible for her actions. I don't condone them or, you know, but I don't, I, I can't, I can't judge because I feel that I've, I have no, place to be able to judge what happened mm. and i think that those that do tend to do so to make themselves feel better that they are like look i didn't you know i had a baby you know on the side of the road and i didn't go crazy and kill that child or what mm. you know it's mm. it I, I i understand that, that also that some people are very religious i mean we we went to church we were we were both you know, religious people, we might not follow a, a church now, but we, we both believe in God and, 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 and had those 
that upbringing and I understand how people, you know, feel that, that there's so many sins involved in this, but yeah. And, and I, I have understanding for them to voice those opinions. Mm. You know, I, I served in the military to allow them to have a voice in those. I, I think that's fine. I think discourse, no matter, you know, if it's in anger or not, is, is a privilege. But I think that they also, those people that look down upon her and those people that will vilify her, I, I wish that they would just take a little bit, just a moment, of empathy and try to see themselves in her situation and, and maybe understand a little bit that, you know, this wasn't the person that she was one, one act, no matter how heinous does not define her life. You mentioned the University of Georgia Police Department and others earlier. So, you know, they'll be participating in this follow-up episode, not the current administration, but the administration that actually worked the case. So uh, mm-hmm. former Police Chief Horton and Assistant Police Chief Sampson, which if you listen to the previous episode you've heard from, they'll be listening to this. Is there anything from you or your family that you would like for them to know after all these years and, you know, now being a part of this story? Yeah, oh, uh, absolutely. I um, Let me... I guess put it this way. I have a, Jonathan Foundling is Jonathan Grant. Um, he is a part of our family and we accept him into our hearts. And um, had we known in the past, I mean, just as we would have had we known about the pregnancy, uh, we would have welcomed him into our lives. And after learning about this tragedy i i also researched how jonathan got its name and how um it was given to him by one of the people that worked on the police force there i believe and i want i i, I want to continue to honor that I, I am going to to look for a way to add our name to his i think it's i think it's only right that jonathan should have his family name but i want to thank all those that worked so hard on this case regardless of the outcome i I do you know yeah it is hard and it does hurt that the outcome came out the way that it did and it affects me and my family the way it does but so many people were personally and emotionally affected by this event that i want to first i want to offer my sincere condolences for all the trauma they endured but also my sincere thanks that they were able to bring this to resolution and and reconnect Jonathan with his family. I want to thank Tracy so much for his bravery and speaking out to me. And it is my hope that we can all remember that he and his family are now victims in this case too. None of them were aware of what Kate had done back in 1996. And Tracy, if you're listening, I'm so grateful for your trust and your willingness to share your story with the world. Now, as you can only imagine, the news of Catherine's involvement not only shocked her family, but it shocked, too, her fellow colleagues from the UGA College of Veterinary Medicine. I mean, think about it. The woman they had watched care for and handle animals with such gentleness and care was now making headlines for brutally killing her infant son. 
Isn't that so hard to reconcile? You see, Melissa was her former co-worker, and she had these things to say about Kate and the shock that has accompanied the news. I was uh, her co-worker and friend probably from 2002 to 2004. Tell me, uh, Melissa, how you came to know Catherine. Uh, I started working with her in 2002. Um, Actually, we worked in uh, units that were right beside each other, so I would frequently be over there um, in the area she was in helping out. So we became friends that way and, you know, kind of the work bestie life, go to lunch together, hang out. And then we were friends until, of course, uh, she died in 2004. And what kind of work did you all do together? Uh, We were both veterinary technicians, so she worked in the exotics animal area, and then I worked in behavior um, at the time, and then I actually moved over to exotics uh, after she was gone. Um, But we worked together uh, as veterinary technicians. So it seems like she went to school here, left, and came back. Is that how you understand it, too? Yes. Okay, great. I know this one's tough, but around the time of her death or, you know, your introduction to her, it sounds like you two became very close, and I'll ask you a little bit more about that, but was there ever any indication to you that Catherine was struggling with anything at all? I mean, I guess no more than anybody else. I know that she had said before that some things weren't good when she was at UGA, but UGA is a big school. It's not uncommon for people to, you know, leave and go to a smaller college and then come back because it just didn't work out for them. I understand that personally. (laughs) So, I, I mean, no more than anything else. I think in 2002, maybe people didn't talk about mental health as much. So maybe we just didn't notice as much back then. But I I really have no idea. <laughs> At this, yeah. now, a week ago, if you'd asked me, I might have said something different. But really, uh, I don't think we really noticed anything, you know, out of the ordinary. There was never in your friendship or even in your work together of confiding about some dark secret that might have been out there, no? No, not that I can remember. I've thought about it a lot in the past few days and there's nothing that I could remember. You start rethinking every conversation with, mm-hmm. you know, a different set of eyes. And around the time of her death as well, no no obvious signs of, you know, turmoil or anything like that. Kind of a shock to you when that came out as well? That was definitely a shock because I can exactly remember our last conversation because she'd actually agreed to work a um, overtime shift for me because I'd had something come up and she was going to cover the extra shift I was going to cover and on Friday, we had actually had a flood at work, and we were cleaning up all the water from the flood. And she's like, yeah, I'm still working for you this weekend. I didn't forget. And so, you know, I mean, I know she was still making plans for days ahead of when she would have been gone. Because I remember her laughing when we were trying to clean up the flood. I accidentally hit somebody with water with a squeegee. And I remember <laughs> us laughing about, you know, the just craziness of the situation. <laughs> If if someone asked you to describe your friend, um, you know, it, it, let's remove what we've just learned about, you know, the, the terrible act, of course, that happened in 1996. So sad all around, heartbreaking, no matter which way you look at it. But who was Catherine? What was she like? Uh, you told me that she had even been involved maybe in your wedding planning. Just help people better understand who she was outside of what they've heard in the news maybe over the past week. I mean, I just remember her as a caring dependable like if you had something come up and you needed help all of us would have you know called Kate right away she'd have been like how can I help what can I do to you know help you out of this jam or whatever you'd gotten yourself into so she was just like a very dependable caring person I mean in the area that she worked in we get tons of abandoned 
life that people bring in. So she was constantly raising little animals of all shapes and sizes in the exotics ward. So she was just like a caring, dependable person that you would be happy to have as a friend. So I can only imagine now what it was like for you and your colleagues to see the headline that shocked really all of us, I think, last week in the news. You know, what has it been like to learn about the gravity of what happened in 1996? And then in some way, I'm sure it's difficult to try to reconcile that fact with the person that you knew so well. Yes. it. When uh, we saw the news article this week, uh, it was definitely something that all of us that knew her in the time period I knew her were very shocked by because it didn't seem like anything we could have ever imagined her, you know, doing. And I think it kind of made all of us reevaluate not just how much we knew her, but, you know, what had she gone through on her own that we didn't know about? Um, so I think all week there's several of us that were still friends from back then. And that's kind of what we've all said is that we're shocked. And it's just totally unbelievable because it didn't match the kind of person that we knew when we all knew her. And I don't know any of our friends that knew her, like I said, early 2000s. None of them, I think, knew her as far back as 96. I think most of us that knew her then had probably met her between 2000 and 2004. So I know it's just a small portion of her life that we experienced with her, but it was definitely a shocking when we saw the um, article this week and then of course we all started thinking was this what contributed to her taking her life you know because most of us never really could figure out a reason I mean not that you can always can find a reason but you know we couldn't really find a reason and so we weren't sure how that played into what ended up happening You now know about how this investigation came to a close. And you know more about Catherine Grant, the mother of baby Jonathan Foundling, who was slain in that dormitory basement bathroom all those years ago. And you know she is the one police say are responsible for his death. And you're likely still asking the same question I'm asking, and the same question Tracy and Melissa ask too. Why? It is my hope that someone, somewhere, perhaps can now look back and remember a conversation or occurrence that might help this family, this community, and ultimately the University of Georgia Police Department put that question to bed once and for all. This is only part one of our two-part coverage of the solving of this case. Next time, you'll hear again directly from former University of Georgia Police Chief Chuck Horton and former Assistant Police Chief Connie Sampson. They'll talk about what the case being closed has meant for them. And you're going to hear how they too feel about whether or not justice has been served for baby Jonathan Foundling. You'll also hear from Dr. Janet Frick of the University of Georgia as she discusses her thoughts on the case with all the information we have now. Until then, it is my hope that we can all continue to honor the life of baby Jonathan and that we will all also remember that there are so many people now grieving and processing this tragic end to a truly unfathomable story. Stay tuned and most importantly, please stay kind. 
I'm Cameron Jay.